thing I have chosen to lose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I were able to travel to Indianapolis for a, a, a seminar that was being held at our world headquarters for the Wesleyan Church. I had no idea what, the, what it was that I was to be expecting other than the seminar's title. But I had no idea at that time that I would meet a group of women and, and men that would tell me about something that could really start something in my heart that would move out into the steps that I take and the things that I do about what I learned. Today we have a very special woman who is with us today that was one of the keynote speakers of that conference that I was at. And her name is Sandy Morgan. She uh, works several different titles in her life. She is the administrator uh, for a task force that is with the police department down in Orange County that works with uh, anti-human trafficking. And she also works at Vanguard University and uh, works with the women there and the, with the women's studies and uh, has a lot of different avenues that work out of what it is that she does and who she is. But one of the best things about Sandy is she's married to Jean. And, and he happens to be with her today also. She'll tell you a little bit more about her life. She will tell you about some of the things that are on her heart. And she will tell you about things that she wants to place on your heart to give you steps to take in awareness and in care. And I would like to ask Sandy to come up and talk to us at this time. And let's give a warm welcome to Sandy Morgan. Wow. I am really, really honored to be invited here by, by your pastor, your family, and um, I do have a lot of different hats. Uh, my husband and I were missionaries for 22 years in Europe, most recently 10 years in Greece, and just came back to the States about uh, five years, six years ago. And um, I had been working on anti-human trafficking. That's modern-day slavery. How many here have at least seen a news report or maybe a documentary? So you know that slavery exists in 2010. And that's why the scripture is so important, because every single person is important to God. And so what we're going to talk about today is what is our role? Now, when we start looking at that, we have to figure out what it is and how it happened, how we're going to stop it, and what my part is in that. Um, Lindy said I'd tell you a little bit about me. I'm a grandma, and so this affects me from the fact that I've got little kids in my family. I'm a, a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a sister, and I'm a daughter. And when I first started working on this issue in Greece, 
I felt totally overwhelmed by the issue that there was so little we could do because in Greece, we were dealing with significant amounts of, of really young girls, 12 to 15, being brought from the former Soviet Union into Greece and being forced into prostitution in legal brothels. And when we'd rescue them, they were broken and diseased and psychologically um, completely numb. One girl said to us, my soul died. And I was up on the Acropolis, because we lived in a little apartment just a few blocks away. And on the back of the palace, there is a beautiful porch with pillars that are carved into the shape of beautiful women. And in many parts of the world, women don't have much stature. Women don't own property. Women don't have rights to vote. And women don't have the same educational opportunities, which means more women are trafficked, made into slaves, than men. It's about 80% because they're marginalized. And I had just been at the shelter, and um, my heart was very heavy that what kind of hope can I offer to a girl who has been used over and over and over again until she says, my soul died. And I looked up at those, those pillars, and my friend, who's a minister in Washington, D.C., she said, that's Psalm 14412. And I pulled out my Bible because I didn't know. Do you have all of the Psalms memorized? I don't. So I had to look it up. But it says in the second half of the verse, and your daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. And your daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. And all of a sudden, every single girl I had seen at the shelter, I knew she qualified. She was somebody's daughter. And this is God's plan for her life. And that day, I stepped into a place of hope for every victim of modern-day slavery. And I won't give up. And I've faced lots of opposition, and I've tried lots of things, but one of the things that I begin to understand is that the church has to impact our culture. So I began to look at how that happens, and that's where my role at Vanguard University is wonderful because I'm with university students. And I know your pastor is here at Azusa. He's with university students. He's impacting the way they see the world through God's eyes. So this live to free concept of just choices, change lives, is just one tool to connect with our youth. And I, um, I began to see that our kids need to understand how what they do, what they say, how they live their lives can create opportunity or can create oppression for someone else. And I'm just going to point to you and you'll click. There we go. Um, Modern-day slavery is based on um, a, an idea of my desire to make a profit completely overrides my understanding of your humanity. It's in business terms, it's about the law of supply and demand. It's the idea that I can make money 
any way I want to by selling someone else, either um, to do labor, a recent case that was just sentenced in October, a woman purchased six Filipinos for $6,000 each, placed them in her residential care facility, and they worked 24-7. They didn't even have living quarters. When they were tired, they just found a place on the floor to sleep. She purchased them for $6,000 each for labor. That's because she wanted to have a bottom line where she had very little expenses and she could make a lot of money. And she went to jail for five years. Let's go to the next one. Now, when I started talking about this with kids and I wanted to go into the high schools, the principal said to me, well, that, that's a pretty mature theme because I was talking about sex slavery and, and modern day slavery. And so um, I started looking for a way to talk about slavery that would be acceptable. And I was reading the 2007 Trafficking in Persons report from our State Department and I discovered that there are 284,000, that's more than a quarter of a million, child slaves on cocoa plantations so we can eat chocolate. So we started talking about fair trade because if I'm going to get cheap chocolate, then that's going to continue to drive the demand, remember it's a business proposal, to drive the demand for uh, chocolate products that have very little labor cost involved in them. But if I buy fair trade chocolate, and click to the next one, then um, I'm going to be paying more for it. Instead of 59 cents for a chocolate bar, it's gonna cost me two, maybe three dollars. My favorite is dark chocolate at Trader Joe's, in case I come back, you guys know what I want. But it's two dollars, it's two dollars. So if my chocolate budget, and when I talk to kids, they're, they, do you know these kids get a lot of money for an allowance, so 10 bucks is not, unusual for an allowance, and if they spend all of that on chocolate and they've been buying 59 cent candy bars, then they're only gonna get, 13, they're gonna get 13 or so, 13 and a half something, I'm not a math whiz. But if they buy $2 Trader Joe's Fair Trade that um, pays parents a dignified wage within their economy so that they can educate their children and feed their children, that's what the $2 is buying then um, I only get five candy bars. So that means then that there's less for me. But when there's less for me, there's an education for a child. There's the dignity for a parent to be able to provide for their children so that they don't have to um, go through this program where they adopt their children out to rich Americans for $30 a month so they can get an education. So what we wanna see Oh, that slide. Go ahead to the next one. It messed up. What we want to see is what is said in Isaiah 58. Click this again, and I know we just read it, but we're going to look at it one more time. You know, this verse is in answer to the, the prophet's question about true worship and real fasting. This is how we, we, we give God our most innermost worship, and we dedicate ourselves to him. When you fast... You take away the, um, you, you, you want to sub, submit your, your desires and your flesh when you fast. So when he talks, uh, the prophet talks about real fasting, 
that calls us to free those who are wrongly imprisoned and stop oppressing those who work for you. Now, when I'm at a high school, I usually find somebody to pick on, and I ask them, so um, uh, do you have anybody that works for you that you're oppressing? No, I don't. Okay, so you made, do you know how that shirt was made? Did you make that shirt? No, I didn't. So, but you paid for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So everybody that was involved in the process of making that shirt worked for you. So that means then that I need to make sure, according to this, that they're not being oppressed. I actually have responsibility, and I loved the supermarket story because what we do when we're in the aisles at the supermarket, at our Walmart, at our Target, maybe if we go once a year to the Nordstrom sale, um, <laughs> what we do and the choices we make can result in oppressing those who work for us because we buy their products. So the whole concept of less for me is more for somebody else. Maybe I don't need 12 pair of skinny jeans for $5.99 because I'm pretty sure that they can't pay anybody for the labor that made that product. Barely pays for the, the materials. I have a student who was doing research on fair trade and she found out that a woman in Colombia made a dollar and 97 cents for um, sewing all of the pieces together for a name brand, name brand jacket. And in her culture, in her economy rather, a dollar and 97 cents was not quite enough to buy a gallon of milk for her six children. And it took her an entire day to make that jacket. And so my student was from a rather a wealthy family, so she was at the store buying her jacket to go to the snow with her family. And she saw that same jacket, and she saw the face of a woman trying to feed her children, and she said, I can't buy that jacket, because that's oppressing a woman with six children. Those are the kinds of just choices that change lives. But it doesn't just change the life of that woman, it changes me, it changes how I think about what I need. It changes how I realize my responsibility to be a voice, to make choices that help other people. And we create a movement of people who want us not to take advantage, not to oppress. And when there are enough people saying, I'm not gonna buy um, slave labor chocolate, they get free trade in the store. Students at Varian Vanguard did a one mile survey and when the first time they did it, there was only one place that had um, some fair trade coffee. By the time they finished a semester later, there were six or seven places that were now stocking fair trade products because there is demand. We are um, a voice for creating demand that will force the business people to respond to us. Those are, those are responsible choices we can make. Now there's another way that we are a voice for victims of human trafficking. This is a story of, a, of, of an Orange County child who was in slave labor. She was originally brought here from Egypt. She was a 24-7 slave. They did have living quarters for her. It was in the garage. They had a mattress on the garage and her only friends were the mice. And she had one blanket that she could either sleep on or have over her and there was no heat and no air conditioning, and she worked seven days a week. 
But Shima was rescued because a neighbor noticed that there was a little girl at that very upscale gated um, community home. There was one little girl that never went to school and she picked up the phone. And we can be responsible as well if we see things around us that aren't quite right. And we can call the hotline, which is 888-3737-888. And I've got cards out there on your white um, uh, kiosk with that number on it for you to take after the service. The thing that keeps people, and we'll click to the next, um, the things that keep people captive in, in labor and prostitution, commercial sexual exploitation, is usually the fear that is a result of force, fraud, or coercion. And those are the three things that law enforcement is looking for to have the elements of this crime so that we can, we can arrest someone, we can prosecute, and we can convict. But the most integral aspect of that is a community with eyes to see that someone is being oppressed. Now, the case of the Filipino people that I just told you about, do you know how we were able to prosecute that? Neighbors began to notice that these women and men, these six Filipinos, never left. And when they would talk to them when they were taking out the trash, they were afraid. And it was the neighbors who called and said, something isn't quite right there. What is going on? It's the neighbors who see. And you know, the story of the Filipinos is a really good example of the process. These are people from a very, very poor, marginalized community with no resources, no options. And somebody comes to their village and says, you know, there's a job here. And um, now there is an element here where some, they're going to defraud our government because they didn't get a visa. And so these people are going to sneak them into the US for this job. Well, once they're here, you know, smuggling is when someone comes in and then they go do their own thing. But trafficking is when they offered them a job and then they get here and they become a slave like these young people. And so even though their original intent was to come in as an illegal alien, they became slaves. And so it no longer becomes an issue of um, a law, breaking the laws of our government, but it becomes a human rights issue. And we have a California state law, we have a federal law, and we have a United Nations protocol that all describe modern day slavery as a human rights violation. So there are resources to help them, but they don't come and say, help me, help me, because they've been told that if you tell someone then you're going to go to prison because you're illegal. See, tr uh, tricking them into coming illegally then becomes the prison of fear that keeps them um, imprisoned. And there's no chains, there's no locked doors, but they're afraid every single day. Um, the, the issue of, go ahead and click, of our own children, domestic trafficking, the commercial sexual exploitation of our children is another area that is under the auspices of human trafficking. And the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children tells us that there are almost three million street kids, kids living, homeless. Um, every year, there are at least uh, half a million kids who run away 
or their throwaways. And pimps um, recruit them. They're approached within 48 hours of running away. And maybe they try to become a lover boy boyfriend. And most of the young girls that are lured into this, they never call their pimp a pimp. They call him my boyfriend. Or they call him daddy. Um, sometimes the, the lure is a family need. Other times it's gang protection. And some of the cases that we have in Orange County are gang related, where girls are being sold for drugs. 15-year-old high school students whose parents love them. They're not runaways, but they're lured by some guy uh, to a bar, a place where they think they're going to a party or they think they're going shopping, and then they're used for commercial sexual exploitation. And internet predators, there are so many resources for us in our community to train parents to protect their kids from internet predators. But one of the things that I discovered that really drives the commercial sexual exploitation market, it drives the demand, is the marketing that's out there. When I, when I first came back from Greece, I was doing a, a, a seminar where one of my co-speakers was a lieutenant from Westminster PD. And um, I was uh, comparing the wonderful US with how awful it was in Athens. And I said, you know, in Athens we had all these pink ads and, there, you know, prostitution's legal. And so it was just awful. And I really like it that there, I've looked through your ads and there's no, there are no pink ads. That's what we called them. And the lieutenant was against the wall and he started laughing. And I was insulted. So I stopped. I was like, what are you laughing at? And he said, obviously, you're not a sports fan. Um, all those ads are in the sports section in our paper. Targeting, who are they targeting? Oh yeah, they're targeting the men. So I went home and I looked in the sports section and I told my husband, we have to quit taking this paper. And I start writing letters to the editor because they're targeting men. And I want, um, I want my husband to come and speak for just a minute about how pornography drives demand for human trafficking. Yeah, go ahead and go to the next one because it says Imago Day. I want to remind us, the Word of God says, and God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And I like the way that Sandy brought out that in, in the issue of pornography, it's somebody's daughter that is involved. And we want to remember that God created each and every human being. Pornography is a factor that is uh, feeding the demand for more and more human beings to be enslaved because sex trafficking is a major part of human trafficking. I was reading from a, uh, an assemblyman, estimates that people spend over $3,000 every second on adult entertainment and that there is a new adult video produced every 39 minutes. California lobbyists for the adult in, uh, entertainment industry estimate that they employ 50,000 people and generate $4 billion a year. It's big bucks. It's business. What they don't understand uh, are, are the ramifications of the cultural disintegration. Yet those who know the facts understand that small seedlings of obscene 
uh, of the obscene can grow into giant sequoias of criminal sex networks. And once the predator sees someone as a mere object, instead of a person worthy of respect and dignity, that person can be used and abused for the personal satisfaction of the predator. People who get involved in pornography, and sadly to say, the percentage is too high in the church. We, who have been created in the image of God, have become predators if we are involved in internet pornography and so on, because that's creating the demand. And there are, all, there are, are always those who are willing to entrap these young runaways and people from other countries to, to meet the demand. Someone said, I mean, Dr. Melissa Farley, she gives a picture of a triangle. 60% of those so-called prostitutes, which is, a, which is a wrong term to actually use, because they're commercially sexually exploited people, 60% know without a doubt that they are slaves. They are trapped. 38% don't know that they are slaves. These are the ones who call their pimps, their lover boys, their daddies. They've been brainwashed. So we're talking 98% of so-called prostitutes. They are actually slaves to feed the demand of pornography. I mean, feed the demand of sexual uh, um, needs. Pornography has been shown to be a major factor in, in creating the desire for, for using other people for personal needs. Dr. Victor Klein, in his third phase, there's, there's four phases he describes. The third phase, phase desensitization. I, can't, I didn't even say it right. Desensitization. Yeah, it's one of those words I'm, I'm tripping on this morning. But the idea is you become uh, desensitized to where men, Christian men, who would be offended at the idea of child, children being used in sexual uh, activity such as this. The more pornography they use, the more, it's easier for them to move to the place of saying, you know what? Incest is normal. Pornography is a dangerous uh, uh, material that, that can be, uh, cause a whole lot of problems in the area of uh, losing value on people who have been created in the image of God. We need to take positive steps on making the right choice regarding pornography as well. So um, the high schools that I go to, they're not ready for me to talk about pornography either. Can you believe that? But we're making some progress. So what I start talking about is commodification. Um, you know, you've seen commodities on the stock market. So what we are seeing happen in our culture today is that little girls and little boys are commodified. They become a product. And in fact, we use them to sell cars, to sell sodas, to sell hamburgers. Um, when we first came back to the States as, your, as a missionary, you're pretty excited about all the choices you have. 
and I'm standing in the line at the, at the, at the drugstore, and I picked up a magazine because I was shocked. They have Teen Vogue now. Did you know that? They have Teen Vogue. I always thought Vogue was kind of mostly lies. Um, it set me up to want to look like something that I could never look like. But I picked up the Teen Vogue, and my husband's like, oh, you want me to buy that for you? And I said, no, because I don't want to support what they're selling. See, this is just like buying fair trade chocolate. I don't buy something I don't want to support. So I looked through the Teen Vogue magazine, and I couldn't find one picture that wasn't doctored. I couldn't find one real girl. I don't want to sell little girls to sell clothes or shoes or motorcycles because that normalizes selling people. Um, I do want to, before I close this, make sure that you know that 888-3737-888 number because every single one of you are our eyes and ears in our community and I want you to know there is human trafficking right here in your county. There's a task force in LA. Are you in LA? Yeah, LA. Yeah, okay, I'm like, ah. But you're pretty close to us in Orange County and we know when they go across the borders. So I did bring our Orange County postcard that has that number so that you can pick it up later and put it in your um, cell phone. High school kids, they're like jumping out and putting it in right away. But it has been our experience that the community provides the tips and then law enforcement follows up on them. And it's an amazing thing when we see someone rescued. And I know that it may be a neighbor, it may be um, someone in a seniors um, club that goes to different, different nursing homes. You may see something like those Filipinos, but your eyes and your ears can make a difference when you call that in. Now, what I really need to do next here is I need to borrow 20 bucks. They're really quiet now. <laughs> Anybody gonna loan me 20 bucks? Oh, good, 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 okay. I'm glad you have it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, when I do this at high schools, they always have it. Okay, so, so the thing, you know, money gets their attention. Does it get your attention? Yeah, so, okay, so whose face is on here? That's Jackson. Oh, that ja oh yeah, there it is. Yeah, there's yeah, Andrew put Jackson. Name there. there you go. Andrew Jackson. So we know this is $20. Um, whose face is on a five? Lincoln, that's right. And whose is on a one? That's the one I know. <laughs> how, about, how, about, how about a $100 bill? See, I don't see those. How do people know? Yeah. Um, so, so when I think about... Um, this $20 bill and its value and how our system um, keeps track of all of that, um, then I begin to uh, abuse it and use it and stomp on it. Are you worried? No. Oh, okay. See, she's, she, she knows. She knows. But the high school kids, they all go, oh, you're going to get in trouble. And, um, but I sort of see this as that girl Maria that I first met in the shelter who said my soul died. And when she was picked up and brought to the shelter, there was a sense that this is pretty much what she was. And so um, 
then I asked the kids, I was like, oh, I guess the kid who I borrowed this from, you don't want this back, right? It's just trash now, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, see, she, now she's engaged here. I want that back. Um, you know, I'm, I really have to apologize because I'm sure it's probably not worth $20 now, right? It is still worth 20 Oh, so, so the value hasn't changed by the experience that it has had there. It's still worth $20. And if I am stamped in the image of God, Imago Dei, has my value changed by one penny? Now, we know that in God's eyes. It's really easy for us to say, yeah, God still loves us. But let's talk about Isaiah 58, 6. Has my value changed in your eyes? Is it okay for me to be oppressed because I'm something less? And we found some, some little jobs for, to, to make bags and sewing. Even though this girl has a dream to be a computer analyst, we send her a show, sewing machine because this is, this is a factory job she can do now because this is, this is her life and she's a former prostitute and we're going to do this. I want to give that girl the same opportunity I give my daughter. I want to provide for her for education. I want to plant dreams in her because she is created in the image of God. Everything we do, our Live to Free clubs on college campuses, they're about teaching kids that just choices change lives, that my choices change oppression and slavery on a continent, and in, on, on, on the west coast of the continent of Africa. My choices here at Ralph's supermarket changes lives for children in West Africa. And my choices here about what's advertised in my local newspaper changes the conditions in my neighborhood. And my choices change who I am. And in the, in the big picture, we are all little parts of the same family. And together, we can change our world and we can present an image of God's love to our community, we can present an understanding of God's value for every individual by the way we live and the choices we make. We aren't going to just talk the talk. We're going to walk the talk Amen. in the name of Jesus. Amen. With that, I want to close, and I just want to pray for you. I know I've dumped a lot of stuff on you, um, but I want to pray for you. Father, this is a huge issue that no one person can handle on their own. And we have to do it as your body and be your hands and your feet, your eyes and your ears. And together, make us an army that will defeat the enemy, that will release the captives, and we'll begin to change our, our, the way our community does business and so that we recognize when we are part of the problem so that we can become a voice for the voiceless, that we can become 
part of the solution. Help us, give us wisdom each day to recognize when we're standing in the aisle at Ralph's or wherever we are, that our choices, our choices will change lives, will change the world, will change the way people see you. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.